So here we are yet again with another episode of English and Coffee. I'm your wonderful host, Demion. And tonight's cup of coffee is brought to you by Speedway. No, this is not an ad, but this is where I got my coffee from. So it's coming from Speedway, a proper Speedway. Speedway in Greenville. I'm drinking a uh, white chocolate cappuccino. Oh, yeah. That's just a lovely, a lovely taste right there. Good, hearty, smooth, sweet flavor. We've got about, I don't know, let me check the weather here. I think we're working with about 41 degrees, so it's a nice chilly 41 degrees, and we're sitting in the Walmart parking lot again. Bunch of uh, absurdity going on around me, but um, it's neither here nor there. Let's get into it. So one of the things I imagine I'll never get over as I record these podcasts on um, these Saturday nights is the amount of people out here just doing stupid things. Uh, people out here drinking and driving, people doing drugs, people just driving silly on the road, just doing all these things they wouldn't normally do when it's bright outside and there's a chance they may get caught. Just because it's night, why do people act different? I mean, do they think they're cloaked in darkness for some reason? I mean, if you wouldn't do this stuff in the daytime, you know, 9 o'clock on the main highway, why would you do it at night trying to be creepy or some vigilante, act like something you're not? Be yourself 100% of the time. That's why sobriety is one of those things. If you're always sober, you're always clear-minded, no matter what you do, how silly or how smart, it will be true 100% of the time. Okay, so what's today's topic going to be about? I had a couple of things bouncing around in my mind, but I didn't know if either one was enough for a full episode or a full conversation. So I'll just jump back and forth from topic to topic, um, and we'll go from there. Take a few sips of this, and we'll get started. Have the Kool-Aid. Who's the the Kool-Aid man say? Oh, yeah. Let's get into it. So a little while ago, I was watching these videos on YouTube. It's pretty interesting. It's from this series called Wired. I don't know if you've ever watched it. Like I said, YouTube is just one of the most inspiring platforms that you can visit on. It's got a lot of great information on there, stuff you can use, stuff that's just complete nonsense, a lot of comedy, a lot of political things, a lot of films, uh, short films, documentaries, things you can pull anything from. But today I was watching a few things in English. I was watching this series, like I said, on Wired. It was about espionage and spies. And they had a couple people from the CIA, I guess retired CIA members, that were up there sharing some of their insights from the years. Uh, Some of the things they were talking about are a few of the uh, disguises they would use. So they had one lady up there whose husband was actually uh, portrayed in the film Argo by Ben Affleck, uh, where they had um, posed a film crew to sneak people out of a uh, country. You know, they had to go into the embassy because the embassy, not the embassy, but the uh, embassy was under siege uh, and they had taken hostages. So these people came in and posed as a film crew and snuck the people out of there. Anyway, this is based on a true story. And the woman who was in the Wired episode was sharing some of what her husband did to get those people out. She also worked in the CIA. I imagine anybody that's actively working in the CIA would not be given a full-blown interview or um, discourse on what they had been doing while they were, you know, under the government or what they're currently doing. But this lady just, you know, shared a few things. And what she did is she used some of uh, pop culture, some of the modern spy films we have, like, excuse me, the Mission Impossible series, James Bond, uh, Red Sparrow, uh, any of these little 
quirky shows or movies that they have out that are very popular that people like to watch, uh, Spy Hard, uh, just any scene, uh, she was using them to break down some of the disguises they used. So she was talking about something called the quick change. Now, the quick change is something that, of course, to its name, is quick to do. So basically, if you were under surveillance, you were in patrol, and you had people watching you every moment, and you needed to slip past them, the goal is not to look, uh, the goal is not to look as if you got away, but to look as if they lost you. So it's a quick change. So if somebody was sitting there watching you intently and you had, uh, let's say, glasses and you had a blue jacket on and you had a, a red shirt or whatever, just little things like that that are obvious because she said they're not following the individual, they're following the profile, you know, six foot man, seven foot man with a green hat or long hair, dreadlocks, whatever it may be. So you uh, might turn the corner, change your shirt, change your hat, take off anything that's just distinguishable that could just point you out. So your whole goal is to blend in and look like the locals. That's why when you see people walking in the movies, they're going through the crowd, they're borrowing things off people, they're taking their jacket, taking their purse, giving their shoes away, changing their look. So it's supposed to be done in 37 seconds. She said that's the time. They want to achieve this change in 37 seconds. So it's not supposed to be something that's too difficult to pull off, but something that's quick to do in a pinch. Now, she also talked about other disguises that they use, um, like in Mission Impossible, you may have seen where Tom Cruise, uh, he'll take his face off, you know, he'll rip his mask off, and he might look like Don Johnson or something, he'll take the mask off, and then there's Tom Cruise under there, or he'll have a mask under a mask. Let me take another sip of this coffee. So, with that, she said, with, with the technology and stuff that you see in movies, they don't have anything close to that. She said a lot of that is... They do have the mask, but there's a lot of CGI because she said it's not possible for somebody to get, you know, like their head to shrink. You know, you can't make someone's head shrink. You can't make their head bigger or do different things like that uh, to where it is as lifelike as it is in the movies. But she said they did have things that were close. Now, you might use like a prosthesis or something. You might give someone a bigger nose. You might, you know, make their forehead a little prouder, you know, make it jut out a bit more, make it a little bolder, their features bolder. Uh, you can give someone a goatee, give them a beard, you can take their beard, take their goatee, give them sideburns. You can easily make a man, uh, a woman look like a man more so than a man look like a woman. So there's just a lot of uh, nuances and things that they forget to put in film. But, you know, it's a movie, you have an hour and a half to get the message across and everything's just for a, a thrill effect. You know, we're like, oh, you know, I didn't know it was him. Um, and then a lot of times they just have the actor stand in and they'll do a change so quick we don't even notice it. But um, what else did she talk about? She talked about how they tried to change the palate. Uh, she said because it's impossible to change someone's voice. She said you could try to talk with a different voice, you know, for so long. And then people just, you know, fall back, revert back to their, their, their native voice. Uh, she said, but they have put uh, little fake palettes in people's mouths, so it might give them a lisp, and they'll talk like this or something like that. Um, because she said it's just, it's, it's virtually impossible just to do it by sheer will for an extended period of time. Because sometimes people are going undercover for, you know, months, years, you know. You're not talking an hour and a half. Anybody can do anything for an hour and a half. But when you're talking in an extended period of time, and you're talking about experiencing a multitude of different situations, 
in that particular line of work, I'm sure dangerous situations, I mean, if somebody's pointing a gun in your head, I mean, you're going to sit there and talk with a lisp like, don't shoot. No, no, you're not going to do that. You're going to be like, hey, hey, look, don't, don't shoot. You know what I mean? So it's easy to break character. I've got some clowns behind me kicking out some serious bass here. I guess they got some 15s in the trunk and they want to make sure everybody knows about it. I don't get what that is. I mean, you got you got people out here. Okay, I'm out here shooting a podcast. Yeah, I'm out here shooting a podcast. Other things I could be doing in my life, but I'm doing something productive, doing something positive. But you got people out here just, you know, doing nothing, doing nothing. I mean, they're out here causing trouble. That's what I mean. Doing nothing. They're not doing anything to advance themselves for. They're just sitting there, blasting their music, drinking beer, smoking weed, and and I guess that's a good time. You know, I guess that's what what they consider a good time. I mean, maybe they're young. I was young once. You know, I used to play with my friends, and, you know, we'd hang out and do things that didn't make any sense. But, you know, as you get older, more mature, you know, you just kind of like, that's just asking for a bruising. So if the cops roll over, there's, there's really nothing they can say, literally nothing they can say. If they come over there and say, you guys are loitering, you're you're disturbing the peace, nothing they can say. 100%. Nothing they can say. Um, let's see. What else was on there? I watched another video from the Wired series, and they had uh, some interpreters up there. And they were talking about how interpreting works in the movies and how it works in real life. So, interpreting in the movies, drama, you know, everything's uh, dramatized or whatever. But in real life, how it works is they have different forms. Uh, They have what she say, like, uh, I'm not even going to try to get the terms wrong, but I'll just explain them. So one form of interpretation, let's say there's a meeting. A lot of times you have meetings between two political members. They're sitting there discussing some type of campaign. So there's all these non-disclosure agreements. So the interpreter is not allowed to put their opinion or their spin on any of the information conveyed or received, you know, when they're relaying it to their uh, participant. So if they cuss somebody out, they have to cuss them out in the language. Now, you wouldn't go as far as to slam your hands on the table and, you know, yell and scream at the top of your lungs if that's what the person does, but you would translate it with the same meaning, the same tone, but just in a civil manner. Um, and one thing she said, uh, the guys he was talking, it was he was saying that um, jokes aren't easily understood in other languages. Of course, as you know, as you're learning English, sometimes the, the humor just doesn't translate. If you're you know, native Chinese and you want to tell a Chinese joke, you know, in English, sometimes just the humor due to cultural references or vice versa with English into French. Sometimes things just don't carry over. Uh, But yeah, they were talking about how people try to do the simultaneous uh, interpreting, which is very hard, where the interpreter must listen and translate the stuff in real time. But they said what can happen is it really fatigues the interpreter. So they said most meetings or most sessions, you're talking maybe an hour tops. She said, because the brain can't process all that at one time. Because that's why, you know, because they're sitting there trying to think in two languages. You're thinking in English, you're thinking in in uh, French, or you're thinking in Spanish at the same time and trying to keep a running conversation, but that's taxing on the brain. So it's very difficult to do. That's why it doesn't make sense to try to translate information when you're trying to learn another language. You learn it in the language. If you're learning German, Speak German, think in German. If you're learning English, speak English, think in English. When somebody's talking to you, don't translate the language into your native language. Just listen. Do your best to understand it because it slows you down. But she did talk about, well, he, I keep saying she because it was two videos from the same series, but it was a guy talking about this. But 
there was a situation where they showed a video of some rebel, some, I'm not going to say it was Taliban, but it was, it was some guy, one of those guys that was just revved up about something. And he had his, his translator actually fell out. You know, they just fell out, you know, just from sheer exhaustion while they were trying to do his thing. I think it was like maybe seven hours or something that she had been up there, uh, translating and she just fell out like her brain just couldn't handle it anymore so yeah it's taxing so if it's taxing for an interpreter who's a paid professional highly trained professional don't try to do it on on our local level when you're just trying to learn a language just you learn the english in english that's it don't don't sit there and mince words and try to translate something while a conversation is going on it's just not going to work it's a waste of time um that's it that's a takeaway from that you take that away uh let's see um what else Anything else on espionage and spies? Um, yeah, she did. Uh, he, uh, she did mention something about the uh, the pins. You know, like when you're watching uh, James Bond and uh, Austin Powers and all this stuff, and they go into the little spy room. So they go in the spy room, and they get these tools. So one thing they do is they normally get a pin, and this pin has a detonator in it, or it has explosives, or it can cut through lead, or it has a laser, or all these different things. They don't have anything that sophisticated, but they do have a, um, you know, that pill that a lot of the spies take when they get caught, captured, they eat that cyanide pill, right? And then they just foam it at the mouth and they die. Um, she said they did have a request and somebody had asked for a pill to be put in their pen. So if they were ever captured, they could eat the pill because they didn't want to have to deal with whatever the people were going to do to them. So she said they gave them the pill and that person ended up being captured. She didn't release the name or any identifiable information about it. She just told about the case. So the person did have the pen, um, and they were captured. And what ended up happening is when they were captured, the people were like, okay, you know, we're going we're gonna to torture you unless you give us a confession. The person said, okay, I'll give you a full confession if you give me my pen. I'll write it out right now. So they gave him the pen, and they said the, uh, she did say it was a he. So they said the gentleman bit the pen, and he was dead before he hit the floor. So he bit the pen. I guess it released the cyanide or whatever kind of chemical they had in there, and he was dead before it hit the floor. That's how effective it was. So those things do happen. Sometimes they can, you know, have pills in their hat, bram, you know, keep them on their person, under their skin, different things. And that's what they have is a little fail-safe device. If you're ever captured, kill yourself because they're going to torture the heck out of you until you tell them everything they want to know. And they will break you. They will break you. Um, they will break you. I mean, there's only so much the human body can take, and they got some sick twisted people out there they got people that just specialize in torturing people you know what i mean like people out there to just get off on that sick stuff like that's all they do you know taking the little room pull out the bag with all the tools and they just enjoy what they do causing pain to another person unreal pain pain we can't even conceive you know the worst thing you think could happen they'll do the opposite of it i mean they're not just going to cut your arm off they're going to sit there and pull all the hairs out of your arm and then peel back the layers of skin and then like pour salt on it. You know, different things like that. Just drag it out, drag it out. You're like, take my freaking arm. They're like, no, we're going to sit here and torture you for like two days. Keep you alive, torture you for two days. No, nobody wants to deal with that. So yeah, they take the side nut pill. So that's Pete. That's that piece. But uh, let's take a short break and um, I'll tell you about something else I watched. There's one poor guy trying to blast his system, but he um, 
he doesn't have any dynamat on it so it's just a rattling trunk which which doesn't sound that good a lot of times when you um if you're going to have a system like that you have to put dynamat in the trunk and what it does is it absorbs the the vibration so your car doesn't sound like it's a moving toolbox um, but that's what his situation sounds like now uh, but another thing I watched was what was it something interesting on there nonetheless I'm sure what were they going on about okay I watched this stuff about the spies oh yeah I watched something about uh, origami believe it or not origami totally left field for me but origami I didn't know there was levels to origami so the guy was what did he make uh, a cicada of course origami i imagine it started in asia i'm not going to say it started in japan i'm not going to say it started in china but it's it's an asian thing uh asian cultural thing i when i was in japan origami was really big but we were doing basic i think the most anybody was doing was maybe a crane you know that's probably just like beginner level stuff uh but he was doing a cicada right so you know over there i guess the coveted cicada is the the thing like as far as the level of difficulty with origami so there were what he had 10 different variations of the cicada all varying in difficulty right their level of difficulty so the first one was very very basic i'm talking maybe eight folds or something and then i didn't even know there was different folds they had a mountain fold they had a um, like split fold and all these different things a fold within the fold so the paper could have 100 different folds in it, you know, 200 folds. And it's the dimensions of the paper. You know, they had the rectangular shapes, and they moved to the square shapes, and they had big origami, small origami. Anyway, he took this very, very simple cicada design all the way to this freaking six-legged thing with antennas and eyes and, and wings and double wings and all these different things but with one piece of paper he didn't tear anything so i mean it was just all these intricate folds i'm sure anyone with arthritis could just forget about doing origami at that level um but it's just like each time he tried to outdo himself i think somebody had uh made it like a level seven and then he just took it like three more levels very intricate i'm sure it's time consuming but um very rewarding i mean if you have nothing to do sit there with a piece of paper, fold it up, try to make different animals, different designs, remember all those folds, and then make your own. I don't know if you could hear that. Somebody over there with a, a gargling truck. I guess they just hit the pedal and it just did this whole gurgle, gurgle thing. But I think people pay to have that stuff added to their car. It doesn't really make the car go any faster. It just makes that sound. I could put it on my car, but why? It's a waste of money, a waste of time. Um, I'd rather just start my car and know that it works, have four tires that roll, an engine that will crank every time you turn it, you know, but different strokes, different folks. I'd rather spend my energy on different things like recording this podcast. Um, let's see what else did I see. They had something about people doing a shadow show. So basically, you know how you can do the little shadow puppets and stuff with your hands. You know, you put it in front of a light, and you, you make little fingers, and you can make a rabbit, and make a little face, and different things like that. But these people, it's a group of people, they put on shows, and they actually tell a story. They form all, form all these interesting animals, buildings, words, and they do it all in the rhythm. Um, it's very interesting. I, I can't even remember the name of it. No, you know what? I'm going to take a second here. Let me look at my phone. Let me look at my phone. I'm going to tell you 
I'm going to tell you exactly what it is, just in case you want to go up there and watch the same video that I did. Let me open my phone right now. One second. Let's see. Yeah. I don't have to remember everything. I got it right here on my phone. One second. Looking through, cranking up the YouTube, get the 4G going. Because I don't have Wi-Fi out here. I'm sitting in this parking lot. We look at my library of videos. And I will tell you, I'm going to give you the name, the exact name of these videos that I watched. Okay, so the video with the shadow people is called Amazing Illusions, Season 1, Series 2, Using Human Bodies. You watch that and it's got something like a seahorse on the front, but the people are making the seahorse with their bodies. And it's projected through the, um, I guess, the, the light, however they, however they do it. You know, it's a little shadow magic they do i mean you could do it too but like i said on a bigger scale that's how they're doing it uh and the video with the origami is called 11 levels of origami easy to complex wired um yeah and you can see the cicada up there and this guy is talking for 16 minutes on the different variations that he did and he's showing examples of it he doesn't show the full process of how he does it he only shows short steps he shows the full process for the original cicada because it's basic but i guess these are secret techniques and he's famous for it it was two two million people have watched this video i'm sure over two million people by now but two million people have watched this video on him of 11 levels of complex origami with his cicada now the title of the video that I watched with the interpreter, it said, uh, Interpreter breaks down how real-time interpretation works with the Wired series again. Um, then I watched the, uh, when I was talking about the CIA, they had former CIA chief of disguise breaks down films and she was critiquing their technique of disguise. The other one was former FBI agent explains how to read body language. Yeah, I didn't talk about that one. So the guy was up there talking about body language. So body language basics, we're talking about hand postures, gestures, the way that people move, the way that people ambulate, all the different things like that. You sit, you slouch, you lean leaning over your neck, you know, you, you rub your nose, rub your face, you blink and all that stuff. They pay attention to all that. But he dispelled or debunked a lot of myths, right? People think because your arms are crossed, that's a closed body posture. Yeah, at a basic level it is, but he, you know, he's FBI, so he's going a little deeper with it. But he said not necessarily. He he considers that as a self-soothing, a calming uh, thing people use from time to time. People rubbing their face, rubbing their ear, doing different things like that. He said, but he likes to look at the overall change, the change. So he's like, he looks at how a person comes in as the conversation starts, how their body language changes. He said, that's the thing to pay attention to. He said, because somebody could already be stressed when you're talking to them, but he said, but you got to look for those subtle changes. Do they adjust their feet, adjust their posture, adjust the, the distance between two people? Now, that's a lot to sit there and look at, but I mean, if you're a trained body language reader with the FBI, I mean, I guess those are the things that you get paid to do. I think he said he'd been doing it for, what, over 20 years? So I guess he's an expert in that, in that realm. Doesn't mean he knows everything, but he spent so much time doing it, more than the average man. More than the average woman. I mean, you could be at that level too if you just spent like 11 years studying body language. Um, and that's what it is. So, I mean, an expert isn't necessarily someone who knows everything. They just know more than you, you know, or me. You know, so that's why they say like, you know, they got the whole 10,000 hour rule. You know, they're like to master, to learn a new skill, you got to spend 10,000 hours with it. Not really. If you can spend 1,000 hours and those are highly effective hours more so than 9,000 just being wasted on BS, 
then I mean you can get the same results. It just depends on how you work, how you operate, how much you can retain and regurgitate a command. So, yeah, learning a skill isn't nothing more than repetition and comprehension. Um, of course, you got to have good, clear, clean examples to learn from, to pull from, and then real-life examples or situations to utilize it to reinforce what you've learned. Uh, getting a little off topic, but those are some of the things I watched. He wasn't talking about learning habits. That was just my little um, two cents on um, learning a habit. Sometimes people want to learn how to be more effective at studying, be a better fisherman, better cook, this, this. Cooking is simple. It's a series of techniques. I mean, you cut a potato, you boil a potato, you fry a potato, you bake a potato, you saute a potato, you shred a potato, you you mash a potato, I mean, whatever you want to do. But I mean, once you learn the basic principles of something, you modify it and you do it several times, you know. So, I mean, once you get something, you have to continue doing it or you can lose touch with it. Just like language, relating it back to language, just like language. So if you learn a new word, if you don't use it, you're going to forget it, you know. It'll be in the back of your mind, like in the recesses, and it'll take you a freaking year to pull it back out. So if you learn something or are learning something and you want to be able to remember it and you want to get better at it, you have to use it. Put it into effect immediately. Put it into practice immediately. Incorporate it into your speech immediately. You learn a new word, a phrase, you hear, you hear somebody say something cool like, I don't even know what would be considered cool in English. Let me think. Let me take a sip of coffee. Mm. You might hear some. You might hear somebody go, um, "Oh, well, that's a breath of fresh air." You're like, "Oh, that's cool. It's catchy. It sticks out." Well, that's a breath of fresh air. So next time uh, your little friend comes over and they're sitting here and they're saying, um, "You know, normally I'm always down in the dumps. I'm depressed, but today I met a new person and we're going on a date." And you say, "Oh, well, that's a breath of fresh air because you're always coming with a whole bunch of negativity. It's nice to hear you say something different for a change. Put it in context. Put it into effect. Use it immediately." Um, I don't know. I'm kind of thinking today I'm going to keep this one short. You know, I feel like I'm under the gun because there's so many people around and I'm just sitting under this freaking spotlight. And I'm kind of feeling like, like, I don't know, like somebody's going to come tap it on the window at any minute and be like, oh, you can't sit here. You know, you're loitering or something like that. So I think we're going to uh, take a break and then we're going to close it out. So I'm probably say that today was almost a day that wasn't. So in the morning, you know, this morning I decided that I wasn't going fishing because I knew it was flooding. You know, we've got flooding in the rivers. We've been having rain for, I don't know, the past three, four days, you know, hard rain. Uh, there's a lot of flooding. I think there were some hurricanes down south somewhere. Houses getting blown over. So when, when we have flooding and the water levels going from, you know, five feet to ten feet, I mean, the fish just get displaced and everything's thrown off. What was there isn't there. New stuff's there, structures change, tree limbs, all that stuff gets brushed around, logs, stumps, structure in the water changes. Uh, the fishing, their eating habits change. Um, it's a lot of things going on, so I already decided, so I'm not going, I'm not going fishing. Plus, we had a crazy, crazy week. Basically, what happened is someone made a mountain out of a molehill, started the week before last on that Friday and it just escalated to freaking level 10 uh, crazy level 10 crazy I mean misinformation out the yin-yang uh, somebody way up top 
you know, misconstrued something, and next thing you know, we're sitting here with no authorizations, can't do what we need to do. And that was a lie. It was just the person misinterpreted the information and gave everybody the wrong information. It just caused this whole chaotic situation, which we didn't come out of until probably Wednesday, Thursday, at the latest. Um, both feet just finally hit the ground Friday, and then the week's over. But it was crazy. It was a headache. Um, I was over the week. I mean, I was well over the week. Monday morning, I was over it. Uh, Tuesday, definitely over it. I mean, you just wanted to go home and go to bed. You know, I could have just been like 3 o'clock Tuesday, just went home, went to sleep. Like, forget it. <laughs> forget it. It's it's crazy. It was just, it's the politics. It's the political game. You know, if it was just about going out there getting people jobs, that's one thing. But, I mean, it's just so many politics with this stuff. So many politics with this, it just just it just makes it difficult to do your job effectively because you have the middlemen have middlemen. You know what I'm saying? Nobody likes the middlemen, but the middlemen have middlemen. You know, everybody wants to be a chief, not enough Indians. I mean, it's crazy. Crazy. Um and then nobody knew what was going on. All the people up top sitting here saying, well, we know it's, no, you don't. You don't have a freaking clue what's going on. And that was the problem. And it just kept perpetuating the situation till the the people who they thought they had the problem with came and just wrote out a letter, like a big formal letter, like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Nobody here said anything like that. So it all started in-house. So basically somebody had created some type of scare, some type of hysteria within the company, whatever. I'm glad it's over. Um, this week, got some things going on. Um, reading a book. Book's pretty good. I plan on reading 135 pages. Well, I don't have 135 pages to read, but the book is 135 pages, and I have to read it by next Sunday. Not this Sunday, but next Sunday. I have it done in no time. Um, it's a good book, by the way, reading that. What else we have going on? I don't know. Valentine's Day, like I said, is around the corner. I'm not worried about it. I might get my mom something. Might send my sister a text or something. You know, Happy Valentine's Day. Send her, send her a little uh, funny picture or something like that. But I'll probably, I probably do, I'll probably do something special for moms. Uh, chocolate, eh? She eats chocolate, but I'll, I'll probably do a little more. Maybe, maybe just get her something to eat. Just bring her some food. Nice food. Maybe a nice shrimp dinner. Nice fish dinner or something like that. You know, unprovoked, unasked for. I'm not even going to mention anything about Valentine's Day. I'm just going to show up with it. See how she likes to get her a little cake, drop it off, go on about my business. Um, what do you do for your family on a Valentine's Day? I mean, do you get your children anything? You get your wife, your husband, your boyfriend, your girlfriend? Uh, do you even celebrate Valentine's Day? Or is that just like an American thing or European thing? I don't know. Uh, I know you guys are from different parts of the world. Maybe you have different um, holidays for expressing your affection for one another. But on that one, I'm out, and I'll see you in the next one.